Major support for Carolina Business Review provided by Colonial Life, providing benefits to employees to help them protect their family, their finances, and their futures. High Point University, the premier life skills university, focused on preparing students for the world as it is going to be. And Sonoco, a global manufacturer of consumer and industrial packaging products and provider of packaging services with more than 300 operations in 35 countries. Housing prices, energy costs, food, are we heading for a recession? Are we already in a recession? Those are the questions that bounce around households and boardrooms, and we will unpack that here in the early fall. I'm Chris William, and welcome again to the most widely watched and longest running program on Carolina business, policy, and public affairs seen each and every week across the Carolinas for more than three decades now. We start with our four resident economists, and we will unpack even things like recent developments in Great Britain and how that affects us here in the Carolinas. And we start right now. Gratefully acknowledging support by Martin Marietta, a leading provider of natural resource-based building materials, providing the foundation upon which our communities improve and grow. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. Visit us at SouthCarolinaBlues.com. The Duke Endowment, a private foundation enriching communities in the Carolinas through higher education, healthcare, rural churches, and children's services. On this edition of Carolina Business Review, Dr. Nicholas J. Hill of Claflin University, Dr. Laura Ulrich from the Federal Reserve Bank of Richmond, Dr. Joseph C. Von Nessen of the Moore School of Business, University of South Carolina, and Dr. John Connaughton of UNC Charlotte. Well, happy fall, and we are glad to welcome all of our economists. And uh, Dr. Nicholas Hill, you're, you're brand new to this gang, so we hope you make it through it. <laughs> but we also were glad to be on uh, from a fine institution, Claflin, down in Orangeburg. But, uh, but, but all uh, kidding aside, uh, Dr. Ulrich, we're going we're gonna to start with you. So we have seen, of course, the tragic loss of Her Majesty the Queen in, in Britain. We've seen a new prime minister in Britain. We've seen, when we're speaking of Britain in the United Kingdom, we've seen unbelievable forecasts, quite frankly, of inflation and energy costs. And Britain, by the way, if people don't know, is our single one of our single largest trading partners in the Carolinas, as well as single largest investors into foreign investors into the Carolinas. So are we going to see any of these issues that are forecast to happen in Western Europe and the UK? Will that end up happening here in the US or specifically in the Carolinas? Yeah, I think if anything, if we've learned anything in the past year with with what we've seen in energy and oil prices here in the U.S. is that we can't, we're not disconnected from the rest of the world, right? What happens in the rest of the world does impact us here. I was actually reading this morning that natural gas prices in the U.K. are up 96%. I think electricity is up over 50%. They're seeing some of the highest increases in, in Western Europe, and Western Europe is seeing much higher increases than we are here. And with the queen passing and a new prime minister this past week, there's just a lot going on there. And so I think it would be short-sighted to think that we would be completely isolated from events like that in a, in a close trading partner like the UK. Um, yeah. At the same time, I wouldn't expect to see, you know, some sort of extreme response here or reaction or, or impact here, but but some we'll see some impact. Dr. Hill, how do you, how, how do you look at that from the Palmetto State, but also the region? What do you think? 
Yeah, so so one of the things is that, uh, like Laura said, is that uncertainty has always been available, especially on the globe. And given all the, the different incidents that's occurring, uh, we're still waiting to see how the market kind of responds to that. With uh, relative, speaking with Palmetto State is importantly, uh, there are other different types of ways that we can kind of pivot uh, adjust to some of the supply chains disruptions that is occurring. Uh, but with the energy shifting and moving that's going on, we already see it across California, across Texas. We already see those types of issues that are occurring. So however we're able to pivot during this uncertainty time will help with our success. John, Joey, how's this stuff wash over you? Well, I... Go ahead, Joey. Oh, sure. I, I think we have to think about Germany as well. So that's the other country I would add because Germany... Uh, has enormous investments in South Carolina. Uh, certainly one of our biggest trading partners, but also significant foreign investment. Many German companies in, in South Carolina, uh, BMW being the uh, perhaps the most famous example of, of that. Um, so when we see changes in Germany with respect to energy prices, and those are going up, gener uh, Germany is looking at a potential shortage uh, this winter. So that's going to affect the, the manufacturing process and what they're looking at long-term as well. And as we see interest rates rise to combat the high inflation, that also impacts the uh, cost or the uh, manufacturers in South Carolina because uh, exports become more expensive from the perspective of, of foreign buyers. Um, and so that impacts demand, at least in the short run in South Carolina as well. So I think you've got to look at it in both directions. But Germany is especially an important player uh, for South Carolina. John, this this whole idea that the Carolinas are, and, and this is my term, but the Carolinas are this, uh, this oasis bubble New South uh, thing that we've enjoyed for so long, but, 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 but are the cause and effect, the levers uh, that affect, globally affect us that much? Absolutely. Uh, I think that the one thing we need to realize here about particularly Great Britain is that's one of the few trading partners we have that we run a trade surplus with. And so if their economy starts to go south, and it's very likely that they're going to they're going to have a hard winter. In, in the UK, and I think that's without question. Um, and you know, with the energy prices rising, uh, and they're going probably into a recession, that means that consumers are going to stop buying goods and services. They're going to reduce their purchases, and that's going to affect us because, as I said, we are we, it's one of the few countries that we run a trade surplus with, and so consequently, um, they're going to buy fewer U.S. goods. It's just that simple. John used the term hard recession. Could we have a hard landing in the U.S.? Are we in a recession now? Anyone? Probably not in a recession right now. I know that everybody screams about, oh, we've had two quarters of downturn in GDP, but that's not that's not the way the NBER, National Bureau of Economic Research, looks at it. It's a much broader look. And despite the fact that we've had two quarters of downturn, through, through the first eight months of this year, we've added three and a half million jobs to the to the labor market. Um, so it's kind of hard to talk about a recession when you're adding two, 300, 400,000 jobs a month. So um, that doesn't mean that we're not maybe headed for one, but we're probably not at one now. Yeah, Dr. Olin. Yeah, I'm sorry, John, finish your thought, apologies. Oh, I, I was just gonna jump in and oh, just yeah, say okay. that it, we could almost think of it as a, a lagged recession in the sense that <laughs> if interest rates continue to go up, as we know that they are, the Fed has been very clear about that, um, that is almost inevitably going to lead to an increase in, in the unemployment rates uh, eventually. We don't know exactly when that's going to happen. So I think if we 
zoom out a little bit and think of this as a broader pullback from beginning in, in 2022 and extending through early 2023, uh, that can be a helpful way to look look at it. Because a rise in the unemployment rate, again, I think is is almost inevitable at this point. Dr. Ulrich, uh, Central Bank Chair uh, Jerome Powell, your boss, uh, in effect, um, was was very pointed with his comments. Was that surprising? It was short and he was to the point and he and, and it was almost brusque. Did that surprise you? me because I feel like the leaders of the Fed, and that, that includes the Board of Governors and the Federal Reserve Presidents, including our President Tom Barkin, have been pretty transparent through this period. There's been a lot more communication um, than maybe we've seen in the past with some Federal Reserve leaders. Um, and I think we are in this very interesting time period where they're trying to educate people in real time as well, right? Because you do have inflation like we haven't seen in, in 40 plus years. Um, but at the same time, as as John mentioned, we have this really strong labor market and, and there is kind of a broad misunderstanding of what a recession really is. And, and so there's this this education piece, too, I think that's out there about trying to level set with people about what's actually going on and what the data are showing us. And, and quite frankly, it's different than what we've seen in the past. While while the definition of a recession is not two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth since the Great Depression, Every single time we've had two negative quarters consecutively of G, you know negative GDP growth, we have been in a recession. So it, it you know there there it is a this is a different time period and and it's been different quite frankly for the past two and a half years, right? So it's not not really a surprise at this mm -hmm. point. Yeah, Dr. Hill, I don't want to leave the idea of recession quite yet. We'll get to unpack mm -hmm. this, this labor thing. Um, are, are we to use the metaphor are, when it comes to um, interest rates, inflation. Are we whistling past the graveyard? Are we just hoping that if we get past it, then interest rates are going to level out and inflation's going to level out and maybe fall? Or is there a real risk in the back of your mind, maybe, that inflation, you know, that the beast is not done? <laughs> so so I'm, I'm more concerned mostly about the demand uh, for money and how these interest rates are uh, infecting the demand. And uh, when you first raised uh, uh, the interest rates that was there, uh, that there wasn't that much of a reduction in the demand for uh, financing along with that. And I think from the standpoint of how companies are now starting to react that we can now no longer have, let's say, large building facilities. We don't have to pay that uh, because we're moving out of the pandemic and into a place where we can work from home. Uh, uh, some of the financing for production and, and just goods and overall operations is now changing. So even with that, I'm, I'm kind of of the standpoint, I'm waiting to see what the reaction is going to be uh, to all of these different changes, because uh, I believe uh, uh, Chairman Powell has always been direct with what they're doing. Uh, the Fed is now coming out really direct, and it's easy for us as speculators to really see what's happening and make adjustments based on that. You know, you all are being so professional and formalized, and, and which we appreciate. But is anyone here? Chris, <laughs> I mean, I'll let me add something, Chris, about this, because I think um, to be a, less, a little less formalized, even though we may not be in a, a recession as a nation, right? Like in a, in a true defined recession or, or as it would be right. defined by the NBER. That doesn't mean that we're not really having some crises within the country, right? There are people that very much feel like they are in a recession right now because inflation is a, is a significant tax on their earnings, right? They're, they're going to the gas pumps and 
prices have come down now some, but it's still higher than it was previously. Food prices are really up. So people have had a tax on their lifestyle, right? And inflation. Additionally, housing costs are going up, right? Rents are going all up. It's the price of, of mm-hmm. used cars are going up, right? All these things that are going up. And so people, there are people, and I think lower income households and middle income households are likely quite stressed, many of them right now, because the things that they spend the majority of their income on have become much more expensive. So I think it's important to recognize that while we might not say, okay, the U.S. is in an official recession, that doesn't mean that there aren't recessionary impacts that that impact households, right? That where households are stressed. I think there is a significant amount of stress out there. Joey, and we know as well, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 please finish. I was good. I was just going to say that uh, I would say that the housing market is almost certainly in a recession right now, at least on on the residential side, where we've seen a significant pullback in 2022 in sales, uh, closer to levels that we were experiencing in 2018 and 2019. Now, part of that is a pullback to levels that are more sustainable uh, because we had seen such a bubble in 2020 and 2021 as a result of more demand and more uh, more financial resources for, for households. Mm-hmm. But right now, there's been a dramatic pullback. So I think anyone in that, certainly on the residential side in the house. Do we lose you? We yeah. Have, we well, have lost Joey. Uh, we'll get Joey back in. Joey, Chris, try, to, try to log back in. Go ahead. Yeah, Chris. Um, I think that we, we need to be careful here. I think that inflation has caused hardship on a number of households in this country. I don't think there's any question about that. So Laura's right in that respect. Right. Um, but that's not a recessionary action. OK, uh, what we're you know, you look at the NBER and I hate to be a stickler about this, but they have defined recessions for the last 170 years. So <laughs> I think they got a handle on this. OK, Probably and, um, you know, they talk about overall decline in economic activity and we don't have that. OK, mm-hmm. and I, I think there's a further point that it, a lot. No, no one is talking about this. All right. But there are two sources of economic growth that we have. One is. Uh, productivity increases, and the other is increases in labor force. And we've been paying a lot of attention to the labor force. We've been paying attention to labor force participation rate. Last month, it went up for the first time in quite a while. That, that was a good thing. That's why the unemployment rate went up a little bit. But what we haven't been paying attention to, and as I say, I watched Powell yesterday. I watch Powell every time he shows up. And um, what, what he's not talking about is the productivity issue that we have right now. First quarter productivity declined by over 7%. Second quarter productivity declined by four and a half percent. You have to go back to 1947 before you ever see a, a, a single quarter decline like that. We've never seen two quarters successively decline at that level before. And so consequently, we've got an issue here on the productivity side um, that is going under the radar. And yet I think is very instrumental to why we've seen GDP decline in the last the first two quarters. It's not so much that we've had a lack of economic activity, we have a lack of productivity. And that's really what's what's generating this. Okay, and and Laura, not to put you in a bad position or defensive about Fed policies or Fed processes, but does I'm sure the Fed still factors productivity. And as John John described it, is that is that an issue? We absolutely do look at data on productivity, and there are some interesting things going on um, in the measurement of GDP and looking at how so. GDP is used to then calculate productivity. And so there is 
there's some interesting data things that I won't go into much here because it would might put all the viewers to sleep, but there are some interesting data things going on in the measurements of GDP versus um, gross national income. There's some discrepancies there that we don't typically see. And so that may be why you don't see the Fed speaking as publicly about productivity right now. Uh, but I agree with John that there are some other things going on related to labor markets and productivity that that are extraordinarily important for us to be taking a look at. I agree. Laura, I understand that there are issues about, uh, you know, data collection. So yeah. 11% in two quarters. No, I agree. I agree. Okay. Yes, I agree with you. I, I wish we had more time to unpack it, John. I, I don't think you're wrong. And, and you've talked about that in the past. But in the interest of time, we've we've sure. got more things to shoehorn in in the next 10 minutes, uh, the last 10 minutes. Uh, uh, Nicholas, Joey, uh, weighed in on this. Um, and I know Orangeburg is not an, a, a super urban core, but it is a city and it is in central South Carolina going toward more toward the low country. Um, when you look at Charlotte, when you look at Charleston, when you look at Asheville, when you look at the, it, 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 in, in the triangle and you see these urban cores that are literally humming and vibrating from activity, but now there seems to be a turn, a real estate, uh, commercial real estate uh, executive said that in, in cores like Charlotte, the vacancy rate is approaching 20%. <laughs> But then he went on to say, but the whisper vacancy rate is more like 40%. How, how do you square that? So, so uh, Joy, if you let me just jump in real quick, uh, you can take it from there. But we're hearing when we talk with corporations and things, it's, it's along the lines of the bottom line associated with the commercial real estate and holding all of these different type of buildings, property. Now that we're moving to a place where we can still be effective from working from home, uh, and so what they're making a difficult choice is to have that large mortgage on their books that they can kind of get rid of and save that money to help with some of the losses that are going to be expected uh, due to the fact of all of these uncertainty. So it's just like we're uncertain about what's going to happen. They are, too. So they're starting that process of, of, of pulling back. And I think they're they're I agree with that. And I think they're waiting to see in many cases how this new professional, how these new professional norms evolve. I think it, there there are many advantages to providing more worker flexibility, particularly when we do have a situation where there is a labor shortage and we're trying to provide, you know, companies in general are trying to provide resources and ways to attract employees. So that's a that's a factor. But also whether or not uh, coming back to the office is more relevant going forward and whether that's going to continue to be important for uh, for networking and for all the all the secondary benefits that being in person provides and the importance of of that type of connection. So I think there's still we're still just in a transition phase right now and and we don't know what's uh, what we're going to be seeing. Uh, it's just a period of high uncertainty. The other thing I would add here, Chris, is that in the more urban cores, uh, you know, we talked to folks all across both states, but in places like Uptown Charlotte and Downtown Raleigh, they're having a very hard time getting people to come back. That's just the reality of it. A lot of these companies have policies where they're saying you need to be in the office two, three, four, five days a week, but their employees simply are not doing it at the levels that they expect them to. And I think there is a, there's this huge issue going on right now with the tight labor market. Do you force people to do this and potentially lose a lot of employees? Or do you kind of, like Joey said, wait and see how this settles out? I think there is a tremendous amount of uncertainty with these, you know, the big office towers in Uptown Charlotte, where I work, um, are still pretty empty compared to what you see if you go even to a place like Columbia 
uh, certainly Orangeburg, they've been able to get their people back, but the, the big urban cores, it's been much more difficult. And real quick, just on top of that, is that one of the issues that we get with with the digital divide, because we're working from home, it leads to a lot of inequality and inequity uh, for rural uh, South Carolinians who uh, don't have access to broadband. So that's one of the things that if we push that, that'll allow for them to get able to have work and remote work in these areas. And it sometimes affects those more so in rural areas than those in the concentrated urban market. Just one more thing on this. I think that, you know, what Laura talked about is interesting, but I think that the I think that the CEOs in these companies are starting to realize that the idea that the productivity levels are the same for virtual work as in-person work, I think there's a realization that that's not true anymore. I think we let, we're led into a false sense of security in the early period when um, COVID was rampant for the first year in 2020. People had nothing else to do. There was no opportunity cost of not sitting in front of your computer and working. Well, now there's a lot of opportunity costs. You go to the movies, you go out to lunch, the whole, a whole lot of things you can do. Uh, and as Elon Musk suggested, pretend work. Um, and I think that we're seeing, you know, we see Jamie Dimon, we see Goldman Sachs, we see B of A, they're all starting to push hard for people to go back to work. So let me, um, let me do a quick follow up, John, a quick follow up on that. So you think this is, and this is again, my term game of chicken between the worker and the company. Is that what <laughs> it is? That's a good, that's a good description. And I think right now with labor markets as tight as they are, uh, I think the workers have the upper hand mm -hmm. and are, are to some extent dictating. But, you know, if, if the Fed continues on raising rates and we see a 4% uh, federal funds target by the end of this year, um, you know, things, the hope of a, of a soft landing may go out the window and we may start to see unemployment rate rise. And if it gets up around 5%, then the balance in terms of power between employer and employee may change and we may, may start to see a different environment. I don't think we're going to go back to 100% in office, but I think we're going to go back to a, a more hybrid system. Was someone going to say something? I heard somebody agreeing there. Was that you, Laura? Yeah, it was me. I, I completely agree with what he's saying. I think, you know, it, it's interesting because I'll hear some of the leaders state their policies. But then if I talk to people that work inside the companies, they're like, yeah, we haven't been in this week, you know, or I come in one day a week. We're supposed to be in four day a week. So I do think it is this chicken situation, as you said, Chris. But I agree. I, you know, the, the labor supply is going to remain limited because of demographics. But labor demand is where we could see some changes, right? And so if the demand for labor goes down, you could, you could certainly see some of the power dynamic shift there. We, we, we have of, of three of you distinguished panelists are academics. You work for uh, educational uh, institutions. And of course, this is a K-12 question, but maybe not. So in the last three and a half minutes, I want to unpack this idea that we are back in school, K through 12, higher ed, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but there is a lot of talk and a lot of hand-wringing, quite frankly, about the idea of lost educational attainment. How, does that translate into some economic liability or, or, or economic risk in the near term or even in, in the intermediate term? Anyone? I'll go ahead. And, and you know, there have been some estimates that have been made by some think tanks that suggest that depending on the year in school that the, that the, the kids are in, um, it can range anywhere from you know one year to make that up to five years to make that up for some of the younger kids, um, and that's real. Uh, and it's it is both it's both educational in terms of subject matter, um, reading and writing and arithmetic, but it's also social as well. And so a number of these things have combined uh, to affect these kids. 
Um, I'm not sure at this point in time, this is kind of like my productivity issue. Nobody's talking about it. I'm not sure we're actually, we're acknowledging that there have been academic losses, but we're not really addressing, okay, how do we fix this? What do we do? How do we spend money to get this accomplished? Yeah, this is one of my areas of research and I completely agree with what John just said. There's a lot of talk about it, but I'm seeing very few school districts actually take what I believe are extreme actions, which is what I think it's going to take to make any difference. But, um, there's but, but a Lauren, lot of talk. Lauren, not to pick on you, but do they have the bandwidth to tackle this? They're just trying yes. to get teachers in the class. Well, I agree with that, but they also got a tremendous amount of funding through the CARES Act and ARPA. And it's also important to recognize that state and local governments, almost all of them are sitting on very large tax surpluses. So my answer to that is they have a once in a lifetime opportunity to do it right. Um, and I don't know that, but but here's the thing, educators, and, and I used to be a public educator, so I can say this where they, the others may not be able to say it now. As educators, you're not really used to, you're, you're more used to thinking almost in a deficit mindset. Like we never have enough right. money to do exactly what we wanna do. And now all of a sudden these school districts and local governments have millions upon millions of dollars put in their lap. They're not necessarily very well suited to deal with that. Uh, we, have a, we have about a minute left. Nicholas, do, did you wanna wait in on that? Yeah, but real briefly, I think uh, everything that's discussed is true, and it's it, it's not about the capacity, it's about the will, and I think that that's always the case is whether or not uh, these districts, as well as the government, have the will to put forth what they've done with K through twelve education. But I can't stress enough that uh, during the pandemic, what it exposes is inequity in the education system, and uh, a lot of districts that did not have the this virtual option, uh, this broadband option that impacted. Uh, persons yeah. of color and minority uh, uh, districts a lot, they have seen even a larger gap in uh, the, the attainment that's there. So so now that we have these resources, we can actually try to work to try to solve the problem. But I don't know if we have the will to. That's the yeah. issue. Okay, Dr. Hill, that's the last word. Dr. Hill, thanks for joining us, because I know when you first signed up for this, you might not know it would have been a ride, like no. a ride at Carowinds, <laughs> but thank you for going right. along with this. Thank uh, you for having me. Please come back. Joey, always nice to see you. Best to our friends down there at USC and the Moore School. John, as always, good to have you on. Dr. Ulrich, thank you as well. Uh, until next week, I'm Chris William. We hope all your business is good, and certainly your weekend is too. Good night. Major funding for Carolina Business Review provided by High Point University, Martin Marietta, Colonial Life, The Duke Endowment, Sonoco, Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, and by viewers like you. Thank you.